things. But anyway, 279, help me to be holy. Second Peter chapter 3 today. Uh, we had been in Second Peter chapter 1, chapter 2, and now we're up to chapter 3. And part of chapter 3 talks about the false teachers uh, basically deliberately forgetting the truth. And what I wanted to do is just go to Romans chapter 1 and read verses 18 to 32, where it speaks a little more clearly about how we intentionally forget the truth ourselves, and especially those upon whose God wrath abides. So Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18 until verse 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who was forever praised. Amen. And because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. 
Even their women exchanged natural relationships for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned the natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of evil, of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This kind of gives you just a little taste of who Peter is speaking of whenever we get to 2 Peter 3. Also who he was talking about in 2 Peter chapter 2, where he had a lot of harsh words, especially for false teachers and people creeping into the church. But just wanted to leave you with some of that, which we'll touch on in the future. Turn your hymn books to 309. Hymn number 309. Fill all my vision.
Sure. Okay. We have any prayer requests today? My Caitlin messaged my wife Caitlin that sits in front of us this morning and said she's having oral surgery this week. And she also had cousins in West Virginia who had a house fire that was pretty devastating. So she's having prayer. Keep my aunt in prayer. Um, she had a heart attack the other day, and they put a stent in, and she's recovering right now. And I see you. So we just prayer for healing that way. I just wanted to thank everybody that's been praying for me. I went through my radiation procedure. And I'm doing fine. So you can continue to pray for um, my meeting that's coming up at the end of January with the transplant committee. That's probably the hardest. Uh, thing I'm going to have to deal with uh, making decisions on that and uh, so if you just pray for that otherwise I appreciate it very much all the prayers and thoughts that people have sent me stand and sing our two worship songs. We're going to sing once more. What a glorious night. And I guess we also have children who want to come up for these things. So make a little extra room so everybody can see them. <laughs>
pages. It's wonderful having the pianist up here. You have to remember how many pages she has to put up in order to play. Oh, 
Gracious Father, we're so thankful for who you are, for the realization that you did come to this earth, and now you are God with us. We're grateful for your spirit living in us. We're grateful for the songs we can sing and sign and enjoy as we praise you. We're thankful for all that you give to us for this day that we can have to worship you, to hear your word, and to respond to you. Help us to do that today, Lord. Uh, help in the preaching. Might your word be expounded today. And we'll praise you as this happens in your son's precious name. Amen. Those ages four to seven dismissed to your church. And there are clipboards over there. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter, chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 today. Uh, not to surprise you, but we're going to be looking at uh, the next verses after that next week. And then the next verses after that next week. So if you want to read ahead, if you want to wrap your mind around it, if you don't want to be surprised, go ahead, read ahead, wrestle with the things before I speak on them so that you're prepared to kind of digest so you can discern what I'm saying. You can compare it to the word of God that you've already studied and be ready for uh, what I'm going to preach next week. I encourage it. I love it. Iron sharpens iron, and I can always use some more sharpening. Uh, don't be nervous ever to talk to me if you're like, ah, I don't know about that. Uh, that's okay. I like that. I enjoy that. I appreciate it. I don't run from it, um, and it just encourages me to study more. <clears throat> I've heard about everything you can say to me, so, uh, <laughs> and I'm worse than all of them, and that's why I love Jesus. So let's pray together. Lord God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for it lasting from year to year to year to year, from the beginning till now. And God, from the beginning, it is twisted like Satan did with Eve, and it continues to be twisted today. Help us to be wiser than the serpents. God, help us to be gentle like doves. Help us to be discerning as we read, not lazy, but studious. Help us, God, to not just hear the word, but to be doers of the word as well. Help us not to waste this gift that we've been given. Help us to teach it to our children, to our wives and husbands, to our acquaintances and to our relatives. Help us to um, apply it to every ounce of our lives, whether it's our marriage, whether it's our finances, whether it's our relationships, uh, the list goes on and on. God, help us to be patient with one another as we do learn, as we do discern, as we do study. Help us to encourage one another with it and also to rebuke one another with it. Help us most of all as we study it to see you in it, to see Christ crucified and raised again and coming again, to give life to all who believe, and help us to share that gospel. In Christ's name, amen. 
So in chapter 2 that Greg got to preach of 2 Peter, Peter is heated, and he says things about the false teachers that are harsh. And he continues on with that. But our level of harshness, even us as Christians, should be in keeping with the level of, I guess, provocation or lies against the community of believers. So the more someone lies to believers, the more devastating that lie would be, the more harsh we should be in our response. Because it is critical to the health and safety of the church and to the health and safety of the individual for them to know the truth. So that that truth can then set them free from their bondage to sin, their bondage to Satan, their bondage to the worldly desires and the flesh, all of these things so that they can then be free in Christ and not bound anymore. And Peter says you have people who are creeping in. These are terrible people. Here's how you recognize them. And he gives a whole list of ways to, that you can recognize them. James does a very similar thing in his, or not James, Jude does a very similar thing in his scripture as well, and he pulls no punches as well. Um, and that is because his love for Christ, his love for God, his love for the people is so high. I've often told my children, if you do something wrong, if you do something sinful, I will be upset and I will discipline you. But if you do something that either sets an example or encourages your brothers and sisters in sin, you will get twice the punishment I wanted to hand out before. Because now you're dragging them with you. So one of my things is you will not set that example for everyone else. And I come down a little harsher. Because all I need is six children versus one father. (laughs) It gets crazy. And it's the same way, it can be the same way in the church. And it says all throughout scripture that you should make this person an example so that the other people are in fact nervous. And uh, Peter knows this scripture very well and he knows this truth very well. And so he pulls no punches with the false teachers. And then we come into chapter three. He just gets done saying, a dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud, speaking of these teachers. And then he says, but you, dear friends, or you, beloved, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as a reminder to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. He repeats um, beloved multiple times throughout his letters and encourages them and says his love for them, Christ's love for them, God's love for them, grounds them in the truth of the gospel and salvation. And his repetition is on on purpose, just as much as your repetition is on purpose with your children. I have told my kids numerous times to do X, Y, and Z, not because I love them less, but because I love them more, because they are my beloved children, I will remind them again, don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. If you do this, it's going to go really well with you. If you do this, it is not going to go well with you. And I remind them over and over and over. Peter does the same thing. He says, not only did I write you this first letter, I also wrote you the second letter so that you can be reminded again. Every week we come here, like some of you have come here forever like since the earth began, right? 
And some of you, not so much. And some of you think, like, I still have so much to learn. And some of you think, I could not possibly learn more of the Bible than I know right now. And each week might be different. Like, oh, that's my, like, that's the verse I love so much, can't wait to hear it. That's the verse I don't love, I'm going to tune that one out. Whatever it is. But the repetition is necessary. You might have heard 2 Peter before. You're going to hear it again because it's necessary, because we forget. The world knows this too. You turn on the TV if anybody gets commercials anymore, and it's repetition, 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 repetition. They just want you to be so immersed in their truth that almost it skews your mind. I got to get those shoes. I got to get the shirt. Oh, I got to listen to that radio station. Oh, I got it. Whatever it is, I got to do that thing because it's been so ingrained. Peter's saying you got to listen to this. I'm going to repeat it again. So it's so ingrained that when your thinking gets twisted, you need to be in the scriptures. You need to defend the truth with the scriptures. You need to be teaching your children the scriptures. Have you heard this lie? Go back to the scriptures. Repetition, repetition, repetition. And Peter doesn't get tired of it. He keeps just going and going and going. Repetition, Repetition, repetition. So it's my second letter. I've written both of these letters as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. And this wholesome thinking comes from the scriptures. He says in verse 2, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. What is he talking about? He's talking about the scriptures. Peter even says that Paul's words are scriptures. So as you're looking at this and as you're reading this, what Peter is saying is dive into the scriptures to know the truth. Look at the holy prophets as opposed to the wicked prophets, the wicked people, the ones who say Jesus will not come. Do not listen to them. Listen to the holy prophets, your fathers who came before you. Also, your Lord and Savior, listen to him. Also, listen to the apostles who've been coming to you. Listen to me, Peter. Listen to Paul. Listen to James. Listen to these guys because they know the truth. So the world has a message they want to repeat. Christ has a message he wants to repeat over and over. And that is, again, one of the reasons why you're sitting here right now, to hear it again, to be reminded, to go, okay, oh, I was getting off there. Oh, I didn't know the Bible said that. Oh, I did. You know what? That verse that was just spoken would be perfect for this person right now who's suffering. I completely forgot where that was in Scripture. There it is. Whatever it is, we're to come together to learn, to be reminded, to heal, to be corrected, to be rebuked, to be encouraged together here. And when we miss this fellowship, we are missing more than uh, just. Um, a time to stand and sing and fall asleep in the pews sometimes. But we're missing a time to encourage one another to fellowship and especially to be ministered to in the word together, all on the same page. We're to teach these things to our children all throughout the day. The Old Testament especially speaks to this, right? Um, above your doors, on your walls, when you rise up, when you lie down to continue to teach these things, the commands of the Lord, the truth of Scripture. <clears throat> There's more than one reason we're to focus on the truth of the Old and New Testament, but Peter has one reason specifically in mind in this part of 2 Peter. <clears throat> 
He says, in, in the last days, first of all, verse 3, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. So he's warning about these scoffers who are going to come, and they're going to say a specific thing. But he wants you to pay attention to these scoffers. Don't be surprised. They're going to come. Are you getting made fun of for your faith? Don't be surprised. Are people mocking what you believe? Don't be surprised. Are they mocking that you come to church on Sunday? You might skip certain events. Maybe you go to prayer meeting throughout the week. Maybe it's a time set apart for your family to be in the word, whatever it is. You're starting to bend your life uh, towards Christ and service to him. And people are saying that to me seems ridiculous. What's happening here is this early church is waiting for the return of Christ. Their mindset is Christ is going to come. We want to be ready. We want to fellowship together. We want to grow in holiness and truth. We want to meet together. We want to stand firm in the face. Christ is returning. And these people are saying nonsense. Nonsense. He didn't come then. He's not coming now. And he never will come in the future. And he's crushing people. These scoffers are a disaster for the church who's exhausted by persecution, right? By neglect, by being run out of their cities and towns, losing family and friends and starting to think, is it worth it? Will Christ return? How long, O Lord, until you return? And Peter is saying they will come and they're coming not for your good, but for their own evil desires, They don't want any of this to be true. But in fact, if they were to study the Old Testament, if they were to listen to Christ, if they were to read the apostles, even the angels, they would know that Christ is to return. They would know what the future is going to hold. Isaiah 24 is one of those such passages. If they were to look into the Old Testament and be reminded, it gives you a vision of the future destruction of the world and the glory of God and his return. But especially, the destruction is vivid here. And so I want to read that to you. Just Isaiah chapter 24, it is vivid. See, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. It will be the same for priests as for the people, meaning there's no distinction with God. For master as for servant, for mistress as for maid, for seller as for buyer, for borrower as for lender, for debtor as for creditor, the earth will be completely laid waste, totally plundered. The Lord has spoken his word. The earth dries up and withers. The Lord, the world languishes and withers and exalted of the earth they languish. The earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. Therefore, the earth's inhabitants are burned up and very few are left. The new wine dries up and the vine withers. All the merrymakers groan. The gaiety of the tambourines is stilled. The noise of the revelers has stopped. The joyful harp is silent. No longer do they drink wine with a song. The beer is bitter to its drinkers. The ruined city lies desolate. The entrance to every house is barred. In the streets they cry out for wine. All joy turns to gloom. All gaiety is banished from the earth. The city is left in ruins. Its gate is battered to pieces. So will it be on the earth and among the nations. (coughs) As when an olive tree is beaten. Or as when gleanings are left after the grape harvest. 
They raise their voices. They shout for joy from the west. They acclaim the Lord's majesty. Therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord. Exalt the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the islands of the east. From the ends of the earth, we hear singing glory to the righteous one. But I said, uh, I waste away. I waste away. Woe to me. The treacherous betray. With treachery, the treacherous betray. Terror and pit and snare await you, O people of earth. Whoever flees at the sound of terror will fall into a pit. Whoever climbs out of the pit will be caught in a snare. The floodgates of the heavens are open. The foundation of the earth shakes. The earth is broken up. The earth is split asunder. The earth is thoroughly shaken. The earth reels like a drunkard. It sways like a hut in the wind. So heavy upon it is the guilt of its rebellion that it falls never to rise again. In that day, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. They will be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon. They will be shut up in prisons and be punished after many days. The moon will be abashed, the sun ashamed, for the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before its elders gloriously. You see both things in here. You both see the destruction of the earth, the futility of fighting against God. You fall into a pit, you climb out, now you're caught by a snare. It's just like you cannot get away no matter who you are, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how insignificant. A lot of times I think to myself, okay, I'm in Western New York. If anything bad happens, like they're definitely going after New York City. I'm so insignificant out here, right? But with God, there is no one so insignificant that he will not be judged for his sin. No one so powerful that he will escape the wrath of God. No one so wise that he can outdo God. And every part of the earth will be under his rule and under his judgment. The earth will be crushed. I like how it talks about just being broken up, split in half. It's like the whole earth is like someone who's drunk, just like about to fall out of the sky. The moon even abashed, the sun even ashamed, for the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion in Jerusalem and before its elders gloriously. Matthew 25, Jesus speaks of his return and he says this, and he's making a comparison between the goat and the sheep, but he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, so right there, Jesus is saying, when the Son of Man, me, when I return, and when all my angels return as well. So he speaks of himself as well. And this is what Peter's reminding them. Remember when Jesus said this? Remember in the Old Testament when they said this? Don't forget, Christ will return. Christ will return. All nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Angels in Acts also make reference to Christ's return. They say in Acts chapter 1, starting verse 10, the disciples, they're looking at the ascension of Christ, and they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white, they stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 to 18 says this as well about the return of Christ. 
Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant. So this is 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13. We don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Notice too in this passage, this is why Peter is getting so heated at these false teachers. Because they're taking away this hope. They're taking away this joy. They're taking away that everything you will read here by saying Christ will not return. Things will not be taken care of. Things will always continue as they have. Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. <coughs> For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage another with these words. Encourage each other with these words. These people, again, were trying to remove the encouragement to the Christian church. And Peter was not having it. He was coming in. As they were infiltrating, he was saying, no, you are wrong. As they were infiltrating, he was saying, people, go back to the scriptures. Go back to the truth. Purify your minds with the truth. Encourage one another with the truth. So both the Old Testament, the New Testament agree that Christ is returning. Christ spoke of it. The apostles spoke of it. And the prophets spoke of it. Verse 4, though, they're going to say, where is his coming that he promised? Where is it? Point to it. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Everything just continues. These people will try and get Christians to doubt the return of Christ. They will say that everything has continued from the beginning. They'll play on our emotions, our lack of awareness, our lack of ability to understand time. I love going on a trip with uh, my kids, and they have no awareness of time. So every four minutes, it's how close are we? How much more time? It's literally been four minutes. I'm going to need to be more aware of time for like the next four and a half hours would be great. But they're not. Well, the same is true with us. How long, God? He's like, it hasn't been that long. How long, God? It has not been that long. How long? 2,000, 1,000, 4,000, 10,000 years? How long? It hasn't been that long. When there is no beginning for God and no end for God, it has not been that long. But we get so impatient. And they're playing on that. How long before you guys just give up on this Jesus' returning thing? And Peter is saying, you need to be immersed in the truth together. You see, these people, they deliberately forget the truth, it says. They don't just forget. They haven't just forgotten. They deliberately forget the truth because their deeds are evil. They want to hide them. Imagine if you were going out for dinner and you told your kids, we will not be back. Do as you will. How would that household go? I don't know about your household. Maybe it would be awesome. 
I'm pretty sure it's going to be Lord of the Flies, if you've ever read that book. Chaos, pure terror by the time you get home. Someone will be struggling for domination. And it's either going to be like five on one or four on one or one on one or three on one or who knows what's going to happen. This is the same thing true here. Christ is going to return. The people are saying, no, he's not. And as they forget about his return, they go on and live in sin. What consequence will there be? Here's what I like to do when I leave the house so that that doesn't happen. I leave the house and I say, your mother and I will be back sometime. Maybe a couple hours, one hour, two hours, four hours. And they're like, well, give me a specific. I'm like, oh, I know why you want a specific. So that we can do what we shouldn't do for the first three and a half hours and 99 seconds. But I don't know what that works out to. But anyways, and then just before you get back, we'll clean it all up, put it all back together, mend all relationships, and stitch up everybody's wounds before mom and dad walk through the door. Right? And so God is saying, I will return. I will return. And we're like, when? Just let me know so I can mess around for the next whatever. These people are deliberately forgetting so that they can live in their sin. Like we all do it. Uh, same thing we were discussing today in Sunday school. Like when your parents are like, hey, did you finish that paper? And the kids are like, oh no, I forgot. Because if they say, I forgot, then it's like, well, all responsibility is off of them. And you know, and they know that nobody forgot. Nobody forgot. But if I say it, it takes the edge off a little bit. Well, these people are deliberately forgetting, just like we have deliberately forgotten a lot of things to get away with a lot of things. The sinful nature has been happening from the beginning of time until now. That we deliberately forget the truth so that we can live in the lie. So we can ease our conscience. Otherwise, we need to live in, like, anguish. We live in fear. We live in worry. We live feeling judged, whatever it is. Instead, you want to live in the truth. That's what Peter wants them to live in, the truth that Christ is returning to make all wrongs right, to reward those who have followed him, to reward those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, who are his children, to see them face to face, to call his bride to him. You see, they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. These people think that the world always was and always will be the same. They forget, however, that there was a point when there was a man named Noah and all the world did what was right in its own eyes. And God was patient with them and God was long-suffering with them and God spoke to Noah and said, build an ark and Noah got started on the ark and it took him years and God was patient and patient wishing that none should perish but that all should come to repentance why do I say that because it's going to come up next we're not to it yet but it's a great example of the patience of God that those who God would wants to save Noah and his family will be saved and God is long-suffering for those who he will not save. This happens at another place in Scripture. Uh, I forget all the specifics. But basically it is, um, God, I know you want to destroy the city, but if there's 50 people, will you save them, the whole city? He's like, yeah. 40? Sure. 10? 
Sure. And it gets down and he's like, there's not even 10 righteous in this city. We're wiping it out. And so that is what God does. God is patient. He is long-suffering. But the world has not always been the same. <clears throat> At some point with Noah, the world was destroyed completely, except for him and his family. And so to say that there's a God will not judge us, God will not come, God does not even see what's going on is a lie. And these people have deliberately forgotten what happened in the days of Noah. Deliberately forgotten that God flooded the entire world to ease their conscience. Maybe they forgot as well what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah to ease their conscience. Maybe they forgot that God steps into time all the time and is constantly working things out for our good and his glory if we're in Christ. But they're forgetting that the world has not always been the same and the world will not always be the same and there will be a time when the world will be destroyed again and this time not by water but by fire. In the time of the flood there was water deep in the ground, water on the earth, water in the heavens, just as there is now. You have the aquifers, everybody's digging wells straight down. You're not getting all your water from Lake Erie. You're getting it from below you. And when the flood came, those things broke up. Water came out everywhere. The oceans rose. <coughs> the clouds dropped. Whatever the canopy over the earth looked like, it came down with so much water, it changed the entire world, the entire landscape. And you can see evidence of that everywhere. You can see stone that is like, even if you go down the highway, it's amazing to look at the stone. Stone, solid stone, bent like it's curved like this. How do you get that? A ton of water moving, loose sediment and dirt and settling it. Just bending it while it's soft. Take a rock and try and bend it. You don't, it just snaps. But when you are God dropping a ton of water on the world, just laying sediment after sediment and bending it, you see it everywhere. You see it in the Grand Canyon, you see it all over the place. And there's more evidence of this flood as well all over the earth. And these people were deliberately blinding themselves to the truth because they did not want to remember that judgment is coming. God is coming. I'll just ignore it. I will deliberately forget that I have a test coming. I don't want to do it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to get the negative grade, whatever it is. Peter's saying it's not worth the forgetting. Instead, remember, Christ is long-suffering and patient. Christ has given his life for sinners. Do not ignore him. Rest in him. Run to him. He is your only hope. As the world is shattered to pieces, he is your only refuge. You think you're too dumb? You're not. You think you're too wealthy? You're not. You think you're too poor? You're not. You think you're too privileged? You're not. You're a politician or you're a pauper. doesn't matter. Run to Christ. He's your only hope. He is your strong shelter. You need to remember that day in and day out. And these people needed to be reminded of that because scoffers and mockers were coming and they were being worn down and they were losing their joy and their encouragement and the return of Christ, the hope of glory, and the resurrection. Verse 7, by the same word, so by the same word that destroyed the earth, by the same word that made the earth, by the same word, the present heavens and the present earth, they're being reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. 
maybe somebody was saying, hey, listen, God said in Noah's day, no more floods. I will never flood the whole earth again. And maybe they just cut it short right there. And they were saying, hey, remember when God said, I'm never going to flood the whole earth again? You're fine. You're fine. He's never going to do it again. Eat, drink, be merry. It's no big deal. And what Peter's saying is here, by the same word that he flooded the whole earth, he is also going to burn it. Burn the earth, burn the heavens. He will make a new heaven, a new earth. And that destruction, that judgment is reserved for ungodly men. All those who have not been redeemed by Jesus Christ will suffer and there will be no place to run as Isaiah talks about. No place to go except for the shelter that is found in Jesus Christ. And that is our hope and that is our encouragement and that is our gospel message to the people. Run to the Savior. There's hope there. You're not too far gone. It's not too late for you. Your sins are not too great. The reminder of Jesus' return is an encouragement to all believers. And this is the way. It's a promise of a reunion with our Savior. It's a promise that all wrongs will be made right. It's a promise that there will in fact be a new heaven and a new earth without the effects of sin. It's a promise of a reunion with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a promise of new bodies. It's a promise of an eternity of love and wonder and worship. And that is an encouragement to the weary soul. It's an encouragement to those who are struggling in the truth. For the false prophets to say otherwise was an abomination and had to be dealt with harshly. And for the people, they needed to be reminded to run to the scriptures. And so I remind you today to run to the scriptures for your truth. Because the world wants to repeat everything that is contrary to scripture. And we want to repeat everything that is true and right. And encourage them in that way. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word and this opportunity to be reminded again today that you are coming. You are coming soon. And help us to be patient and help us to be steadfast. Help us to be an encouragement. Help us to be protectors and help us to not grow weary in well-doing because in due season we will reap if we faint not. Help us most of all to rest in your saving work in Jesus Christ who died and rose and is coming again to give life to all who believe. In Jesus' name, amen. In your hymn books to number 291. 291, and on the third verse, while the deacons come and prepare for communion. 291, higher ground. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven.
I want to live above the world Though Satan's darts at me are hurled For faith has caught the joyful sound The song of saints on higher ground Lord, lift me up and let me stand By faith on heaven's table To scale the utmost heights and catch a gleam of glory bright, till heaven I've found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table. Christ on the cross is the most astounding work you'll ever see. For God the Son to come in human flesh and die for us, go through the physical punishment, go through the crucifixion, shed his blood, and die and be put in a grave is astounding to me that he would even bother to do that. For me, a sinner. And then to rise again so that we would know that everything he did is for real. And we can trust in what he's offered to us. So when we get together at this time, it's a time when we remember that. And we remember it anew. We think, well, we do this every month. Yeah, because we forget. We forget how unique and special it is. We need to remember. You are children of God because of the work of Christ. So as we go to this and we and we think on this, think on that in your mind. What has Christ done for me? And, and what is my response now in my life? Am I still striving to grow and become the person that Christ has saved me for? To set myself apart to Him. So as we go through these different things and as we read through it, it said on that first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparation for you to eat Passover? He said, go into the city and a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near, I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared Passover. When the evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad, began to say to him, one after the other, 
Surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus said, The one who has dipped his hand into a bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. The realization that this had been planned ahead of time. Then Judas, the one who betrayed, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So as we consider these things, keep in mind the enormous price and the great love that did this for you. Gracious Father, as we come to partake of your body, the bread, as we take this together, we pray that you will help us to remember all that you've done for us, for the enormous price that was paid, and help us to rejoice in the amazing love that you have for us. And then, Lord, help us to commit ourselves to continue to grow closer to you, to be more the child that you desire us to be. We'll thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen.
took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. No. Gracious Father, as we think of your blood shed that day when the sword was pierced in his side, that it was an active, active lesson of how your blood was shed for us. And that it is with that blood we are cleansed. For without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. And we're so grateful for what you've done in helping us to be able to be clean before you. Because without the shedding of blood we would not in any way be able to stand in your presence. So we praise you for that. As we partake today, let us do that with rejoicing. In Christ's name, amen. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all from it. After they were done, they sung a hymn, so we're going to sing uh, His Name is Wonderful. Let's stand together. <laughs> 
Yeah.